The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Good evening, John. Fine, thank you. And yourself? Pretty good. Good to be here, Father. Good Father, I just checked our email inbox, and we have somewhere around 77 emails left, I believe. Outstanding in the email inbox currently. But rather than get into all of those tonight, Father, there have been a plethora of current events uh, that, that have been in the news lately from the Vatican and, and our own uh, government happenings here in the United States, so I thought uh, we could take some time to discuss some of those tonight, Father, and I, I see you, you've brought up a whole a whole slew of articles for us to discuss tonight. Well, let's start with this one. I believe just, just broke in the news today of Francis apparently in a meeting with a, uh, a gay man told uh, the man something along the lines of, God made you gay, God made you this way, God loves you this way. And this has been the headline on the Drudge Report today, it's been out uh, in various other news outlets. So do you have any uh, any comment on this remark of Francis? Well, the only evidence we have uh, to support the fact that Francis said this is the testimony of this man, uh, Cruz is his name actually. He's one of the victims, the Chilean victims of abuse by clergy in Chile. And uh, Francis had him and two others come to the Vatican and spent some time with them. And uh, according to this gentleman, after the meeting with Francis, and I guess it was quite a lengthy meeting, uh, Francis told him that God made him homosexual and uh, that God loves him as a homosexual. You know, that, that, uh, the, the indication of what the man said, although it's not a quote, is that God is perfectly okay with him being homosexual and he should basically be, be okay with it too. That's the message that is resounding now, echoing around the globe. Now, of course, there'll be those who say, well, that's not what Francis actually said, or that's not what he meant. That's what it, it happens every time. Right. He has these, these private conversations. In fact, um, the Vatican itself was approached to comment on this report, and uh, the official answer was that we do not comment on uh, the Pope's private meetings, okay? How convenient. But oddly enough, um, when he had meetings with Scalfari, and Scalfari said that he denied the existence of hell, Francis did, they did comment on that. The uh, Vatican spokesman came out and said, well, there's no real transcript of what he said, and so you can't be sure what he said. And, but as I pointed out before, it's never Francis who comes out and clarifies. It's, already so, it's somebody else who comes out and speaks for him. Uh, and so, uh, even if they come out and say, well, we don't monitor or report on Francis's private meetings, the fact is, it's up to Francis to come out and say that what this man is saying is not true. Of course, uh, you know, it, it puts Francis in a tough spot now because even if what the man said was not true, for Francis to come out and say, well, um, I didn't actually say that, I didn't actually mean that, of course, because we know homosexuality is a disorder, as sinful, the activity uh, it itself is, is mortally sinful, and souls are lost because of this and so on. I mean, he, he, he would enrage the entire uh, so-called, quote-unquote, homosexual or gay community, end quote, uh, which there is no such thing, but except a, you know, a pure fiction in, in the press. But in any case, um, will Francis come out actually and uh, hold up the Catholic truth, the, the truth of Catholic morality on this issue? No. Um, I'm sure he won't, okay? This will be allowed to die down, but uh, as a number of commentators on Francis' behavior have pointed out, he does these things willfully and with malice aforethought. He brings, brings these things up so that people he talks to privately will then report on these things uh, the conservative, so-called conservative Novus Ordos, will then defend him and find a way to either dismiss it or in, in reinterpret it. But the point is, uh, as some commentators say, his, his purpose is to push things little by little by little by little into greater and greater acceptance. He's pushing the envelope every time a little bit farther. Remember when he came up 
and talked about homosexuality and homosexual practice and talked about actually those who are living the quote-unquote homosexual lifestyle or the gay lifestyle, end quote. Um, that, um, uh, well, his, his, his ultimate uh, uh, assessment of that was, who am I to judge, okay? Uh, so there you have a man who is uh, fiercely defended to be the Pope. And yet he's saying basically, I do not have the powers of a Pope to judge things like this. Right? So basically he's abdicating in front of everybody's eyes. Uh, they're just not getting the message that he's telling them that he really isn't a Pope, even in his own eyes, that he would have the authority to make a moral judgment there and uphold the moral teaching of the Church. So this is Francis's constant modus operandi. <clears throat> and some people are beginning to catch on, even in the Novus Ordo, that this is his agenda that he's pursuing here. So we'll see if any more uh, commentary comes out of the Vatican about this. But uh, it just amazes me that people even react anymore. After all, it's as though they, they're continually surprised by what he says. And uh, they, they're just unwilling to face the reality that this man does not have the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. I believe in the, the headline on the Drudge Report says something along the lines of, Pope shock, Pope says this. Mm -hmm. But uh, finally, you know, you mentioned him, him uh, abdicating his, his authority. How diabolically disoriented is this, where we have a man who's supposed to be the Pope, and he is literally doing the exact opposite of what a Pope should do. It seems to me that, that a Pope, his his role is to take any, you know, any, any questions that arise among the faithful, to essentially be a hammer of truth, mm -hmm. to, to state dogmatically uh, infallible truths, and to state them to clarify things. And Francis does the exact opposite of that. He's, he sows confusion, and he, he does it on purpose. He does it intentionally. This, Like you said, this is his MO of having these kind of where he doesn't say, he didn't necessarily say something, but there's a quote of a quote of a quote, and, and just creates this confusion, and then never comes out and clarifies anything, never never, never states any, any truth. It's He's just, even told the clergyman that they're speaking too clearly. Right. <laughs> they've got to uh, kind of mask their language, do what they're doing, but just don't be too clear on it, because that's what raises opposition. Mm -hmm. And that, I, I had once had a, a liberal tell a a liberal-minded person tell a family member of mine that he was too radically honest, too radically truthful. I thought that was uh, mm -hmm. just blows my mind. But yeah, it seems that his his what he's doing, what Francis is doing, is literally the exact opposite. The time and time again, Francis has upheld the homosexual agenda, even when he hasn't. Right. And what I mean by that is, there are times when he'll make certain noises. Mm -hmm. For example, he's talking about gender selection and so on and how bad that is. But yet, he had a transgendered, well, I guess, a uh, woman who became a, a man, and uh, even publicly referred to the man, uh, the, the, the woman, okay, his transgendered, supposedly, he re referred to him as a son of God, mm -hmm. I mean, as a woman, right? Mm -hmm. So he's playing along with it continually. Mm -hmm. Every now and then, he will make some kind of old statement, right, which is reported by all the conservatives saying, oh, look, deep down, he really does believe what we believe. And yet, everything he does, and much, most of what he says, uh, actually defies that. They've got, to, uh, they've got to face reality for what it is. Uh, I mean, even LifeSide News here in the article by Doug Main, Mainwaring, follow, well, let's see, Doug Mainwaring is his name, uh, has the headline, God Made You Gay, quote-unquote. Did Pope Francis just tell the lie of the century? End quote. And of course, they're referring to a judge, judge report and a few other uh, publications that broke this this story. Um, and then, actually, they give they give uh, uh, I should say Doug Mainwaring gives a little bit of history behind Francis's development to this point. And actually, there's a there's an article that has come out recently uh, by an anonymous priest. Again, I, I don't fault him for that because there's such vindictiveness among the modernists that he's, he's afraid that he will be targeted for saying this. I think it doesn't speak well for him, for his courage, because if he, if he doesn't want to be known for standing up for the faith, we've already got a problem here. This is the priest who wrote this, so this is listed as anonymous. And this is also in LifeSide News. Priest explains how Amoris Laetitia, as Francis's motu proprio, or apostolic ex exhortation, 
was really written to normalize homosexuality. And so this is this priest's analysis, that with all of this argumentation going on about Amoris Laetitia, the joy of love, or whatever he wants to call it in English, uh, was about giving, ho uh, giving Holy Communion, or their wafer anyway, to uh, those who are living in open adultery. He says that's not the point. He says the point of Francis in that, uh, in that uh, writing was to completely undermine the whole idea of anything being objectively evil and uh, intrinsically evil. That is to say that it could not be justified under any circumstances. That Francis wants to really get the point across is that anything can be justified under certain senses. In other words, what we would call situation ethics. And so um, his, his point is that what Francis was really looking to do in the long run by Amoris Laetitia was not argue that communion should be given to uh, those living in open adultery, but to give the pretext for ultimately justifying homosexual life living, you know, actually behavior. And so again, it seems to be pushing in that direction. And there are those who are even raving, raising questions about Francis and his own, his own uh, shall we say, inclinations here, uh, because uh, he seems to be very, very steady in promoting this whole agenda. Um, the, the, the story went out that Benedict resigned because of the homosexual mafia, so-called, in the Vatican, and that, Francis, that Benedict had opposed it, tried to overcome it, couldn't do it, and so Francis was brought in to clean things up. But there are cardinals who have come out uh, and said very openly that it's never been worse now uh, before than it was now, that it is now, that it's worse now than it ever has been before under Francis. Just this open, open displays of homosexuality. And so the question arises now, who is he and uh, what, what are his own, his own problems? Mm -hmm. um, might as well face it for what it is, right? That would be a, an explanation for what we're wit actually witnessing, right. uh, facing reality here. But, uh, you know, the problems in the Vatican extend uh, to this and beyond this. I mean, recently, uh, Cardinal Marx, oddly his name is Cardinal Marx, uh, his name is actually Cardinal Reinhard Marx of Germany, uh, spoke up in an interview and credited Karl Marx with helping craft the Catholic social teaching. And um, that uh, this actually made its way into L'Osservatore Romano, the Vatican's own newspaper, that uh, speaking about the 200th anniversary of the birth of Karl Marx, this Cardinal uh, Reinhold, Reinhard Marx, not only says that um, were it not for the teaching of Karl Marx, the church would not have her social doctrine today, meaning under Francis, I guess, and uh, that we should be very grateful to Karl Marx. And he, he elevated, elevated him up to the level of almost a father of the church with regard to social doctrine. Karl Marx. Um, he even jokes that... Um, that uh, Benedict and John Paul II referred to him in the past as their Marxist cardinal. So this is what we've got going on now in, uh, in the Novus Ordo Church, and they're, they're not making uh, efforts to hide it now. They're, they're almost flaunting it right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what, what, uh, what we're dealing with now, with this, this stage of modernism and the errors of Russia uh, flooding the world, as Our Lady uh, predicted that it would. Father, real, real quick, as far as the substance of Francis's apparent quote today, as far as God made you gay, is that actually possible? Can God make a person gay? Can, it, can someone be born gay? Can someone have that, that homosexual tendencies in their genes? Well, does God will anyone to be gay? No. Can it happen that one has a genetic disorder that inclines one in this direction. I, I guess it's hypothetically possible. Some years ago, the American Psychiatric Association, I think that's what it's called, the Psychological Association, decided after years of research there was no evidence of such a thing as what they want to call a gay gene. I don't like the word gay. I think it's, uh, it, it, it masks the reality. I mean, homosexual, uh, a homosexual gene that, that makes one inclined toward homosexuality. <clears throat> Personally, I think, 
that it's a matter of experience. Uh, when children are young, I think they're quasi imprinted with this uh, by an adult or a teenager taking advantage of them, giving them the first experience of these things, awakening a morbid curiosity in them and that eventually grows into a homosexual inclination. And uh, I think they are made, not born. But even if one were to claim to have found, or actually found, uh, evidence for uh, some genetic disorder that would incline one to homosexuality, I would, I would say, well, it is really not that surprising because we found so many genetic diseases genetic-based diseases that are evil things that we're trying mightily to overcome. Uh, I mean, th think of all the things, muscular dystrophy and cystic fibrosis and, uh, and uh, muscular sclerosis, and, uh, or, uh, we're, we're finding all of these genetic uh, bases for these terrible diseases. And I would just say that th this is exactly one of those other evil things that is a result of original sin, and this disorder in, in the genes uh, is, has kind of given rise to this pathology. And Father, you and I have talked about this before, how the, uh, the whatever, the, the liberals, they, they've tried so hard, they wanted so badly to discover this, quote, gay gene to find this because they think that they can then use that as an argument and say, Look, this is natural. It's it, you weren't uh, you weren't made this way. You were created this way. That you were born this way, and so it's perfectly natural. Well, so that's because like, liberals do not believe in original sin. Right. So they think that whatever is natural is good. Remember the noble savage of uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, mm -hmm. and uh, then the French Revolution taking his ideas, and of course society, civilization, uh, certainly religion, uh, corrupts the noble savage because it and it makes him unnatural. So whatever is natural, uh, the liberal wants to tell us, is right. That's why I mean, the, the whole philosophy of naturalism is basically built around that, that idea. Of course, we know that there is such a thing as original sin. And we know now that our, our nat nature is perverted, twisted, uh, distorted. And a lot of the things that are natural to us now were not intended by God and our evils, mm -hmm. and we have to strive our entire lives to overcome them. And reason itself would tell you that, Father, you know, there, there's the one quote, uh, I believe it may have been Chesterton, who said uh, something along the lines of, you know, so many of us will argue about what's wrong with man, but there's no denying that something is wrong it's with man. Wrong. The, 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 there is this original sin, but reason itself tells you that. And, and even if they were to discover this, this so-called gay gene and, and prove that it is naturally occurring in you, how does that read, that doesn't logically uh, moralize us, it doesn't logically say that, that, that therefore these actions, homosexual actions are morally permissible, because all the time we see individuals as a result of original sin, they'll have tendencies towards evil, uh, there's, you know, someone may have more of a tendency towards anger and hatred. Maybe someone has has uh, the alcoholic genes in, in their in their DNA, and they're predisposed to alcoholism. How does that make it okay? Just because someone has a tendency towards something, uh, some people may not have the alcoholic gene. They may not struggle with that at all. Some people may not struggle with with anger and hatred at all. So how does it? Just because it's there naturally occurring, how does that make it morally permissible? Right. I mean, you justify anything anyone does. That way. Is that what they're getting at? But even they are looking for some genetic basis for any criminal behavior. Mm -hmm. And because they say, well, we've got to try to repair the genetic uh, problem so that people don't have tendencies to commit criminal acts, violence against another person, man or woman. And so, you know, even in the very time they're talking about looking for this homosexual gene to try to make it look natural, they're also acknowledging that the, they say there's a genetic basis for virtue of all the crimes that are committed. Mm -hmm. Not, but they're doing this because they want to take away the personal responsibility. They want to say somebody can't help it. But at the same time, they do this. They, they talk about the need to find out the reason why this is happening and cure it and fix it. As others, they recognize it as an evil and there's something wrong with it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, these are the people who, they, they have these uh, shootings like we had recently now in Santa Fe High School, right down in Texas there. Awful as it is, but they, they, they're finding this, 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 the thread of these things, the common factors and all. Some of them 
I don't know, maybe most of them have psychotropic drugs that the, the child was taking, usually a boy, of course. Uh, perhaps almost all the recorded instances involve boys, right? And uh, <clears throat> sometimes broken homes, and uh, sometimes um, uh, playing violent video games, video games involving uh, killing people, either individually or en masse, right? And uh, uh, sometimes, you know, violent uh, music and sadistic music, which often tends toward atheism and Satanism. So there are common threads here, but they will not acknowledge that that, has, that, that really is what drove this child to do this. <clears throat> but these are factors. I mean, there are children, <clears throat> they say, who play these video games, listen to that music, come from broken homes, and don't do these things. And that's true. Uh, but when you see that those who do have these common threads running through them, you begin to see a pattern here. Any rational human being would see a pattern here. And uh, you cannot dismiss it by saying, well, it's just natural, they can't help it. Because, well, just this recent case, um, they say they, they can't find, you know, any of the usual indicators. And that, this is what's troubling them. Yeah. They can't find the usual indicators, so they can't explain this one. Although they say that this boy did, in fact, play these violent video games. Mm -hmm. Father, I think this is a pertinent question that I've actually wanted to ask you for some time, but uh, would you qualify human nature as essentially good or essentially evil? Essentially, it's good. Okay, but it's corrupted. But it is corrupted, yes. So it has evil tendencies. Yes, insofar as God created human nature, it has to be good, and it is. But we've corrupted it by sin. Okay. Was it the Genesis heresy that taught that human nature is essentially evil? Well, actually, Luther, uh, the Jansenism tended that way, and even went so far as to say that even with the grace of God uh, helping, it's still impossible for a man to avoid all sin. They were saying that there were actually some sins that a person could not, uh, could not, um, avoid, right? There are some temptations of such a character that a person could not resist even by the grace of God. So they were, in a sense, predetermined to sin. Okay? Luther actually went a bit farther than that. Jansenism was sort of a, a, tendon, a kind of a, a Protestant tendency within the church uh, giving, giving, giving certain credence to the Protestant idea okay. uh, against free will. But Luther said that we are so corrupt by nature, we have destroyed our nature, which is absurd because we don't have the power to destroy a nature, our own or anyone else's. Okay? God created it. We can't uncreate it. Uh, but we can pervert it, we can twist it, we can distort it, and that's what we've done to ourselves. He mutilated it, is what we've done. And uh, <clears throat> Luther said that our nature is so completely corrupted that we cannot help but sin. It's impossible for us not to sin. And we shouldn't even try, because when we try not to sin, then we're offending God's mercy by saying, I'm not relying on Christ's death on the cross, <clears throat> For me, I'm relying on my efforts not to sin. So his formula for uh, pleasing God, making an act of faith in Christ's redemption, was to sin mightily but believe more mightily. And even that we should humble ourselves by giving into the temptation to prove to ourselves that we cannot help but sin, <coughs> and we trust entirely in the, in the mercy of God through the cross of Christ, the death of Christ on the cross. Uh, which goes completely against our Lord's own words, be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect, right? God wills not the death of the sinner, but that he be converted and live. And conversion means more than just saying, I believe. Uh, my Lord himself lamented, why do, you do, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? Our Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's a matter of what you do and actually being faithful, not just having faith, as it were, but being faithful. Um, the, the scripture tells this practically every page, you know, but Martin Luther didn't want to hear it. And, uh, and so Jansenism was a, a tendency in that direction, which is why it was condemned by the church as a heresy. Okay. So human nature is essentially good, but it was corrupted by original sin, 
and we need grace in order to overcome the uh, evil tendencies. Even even Lucifer's nature is essentially good. Even Satan's nature as an angel remains essentially good, as God created it, okay. with what God gave him. But it's what uh, Lucifer did to himself that made him Satan. Okay. And uh, the, 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 as St. As Augustine expressed so beautifully, um, that evil is not a thing, it is a no thing, in the sense that there should be a perfection where there is none. Right. And it's an, like an abscess. Right. So there's no pound of evil somewhere, or yard of evil, or, or quart of evil. Um, evil is not something positive, it's, it's purely negative, it's an absence of a due perfection, as he said. And so it is with us, in our nature, we wounded our nature. And uh, Lucifer has, again, mutilated his nature. Um, so that, I mean, he remains an angel. And that is what God gave him. But he's a fallen angel, and that fallen part is what Lucifer has done to himself. Father, I did want to mention this because it ties in perfectly with how you were talking about uh, Carl, Carl, Cardinal Marx said that Karl Marx was uh, uh, almost a father of the church or whatever there. But we, we got an email uh, titled Societal Subversion, and uh, this viewer said we often hear ordinary people today complaining about the corrosive effects of, quote, modernism in their daily lives and on their families as though it were just the, the result of a mistaken or misguided or idiotic policies. But he attached a really interesting article here with, that talks about the Frankfurt School, and it outlines exactly their plan for the societal subversion of uh, of the United States, and you read through it, you know, that they list some of their, I think, their main 11 points, and it's like you're, you're reading what America is today. And and uh, so he wanted you to comment on this, how, you know, people think that it's just, you know, like you said, some kind of idiotic or misguided policy, but this is actually very intentional, and this is the fruit of Marxism, what we have. Oh, absolutely. But Our Lady said that Russia would spread her ass throughout the world. And uh, a diabolical disorientation would take hold of the world. She was speaking very, very clearly about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, after, after the fall of Russia, okay, which was, again, a, a kind of uh, anomaly according to the Marxian, the Marxist thought, it was the heavy indu heavily industrialized societies where the worker was the most alienated from his product that social, the socialist revolution was supposed to begin. But of all places, it happened in backward Russia, okay? And um, so again, I mean, people should have been getting the understanding, all of these Marxist theorists, that Marx was wrong. Right. They've been proving him wrong ever since, but they keep, keep at it. Um, so Russia fell, and the idea was that they would export revolution throughout the world. So the Comintern, the Communist International, very early on began working under Lenin, and then Stalin perfected it sending out uh, emissaries, as it were, uh, uh, revolutionaries, terrorists, you know, throughout the world. They, they tried in the uh, early 20s in the United States to foment all kinds of social uh, upheaval, strikes of all kinds. After all, we had our young men coming back from World War I looking for jobs, but we had kind of gone with a wartime economy. <laughs> And we were trying to shift to a peacetime economy, and they, you know, hundreds of thousands of young men had to be assimilated into the workforce. It took time. And the Marxists saw the opportunity. They were already at work here. Their agents were at work here in the 1920s. And so, um, but not only here, they got to work in Spain. I mean, they were desperately trying to get Spain into the, into the communist orbit. And Mexico, too. I mean, right across the border from us. Desperately trying in terms of the uh, Calles and his and his Marxist followers. <clears throat> Why did Trotsky, the, the 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 boots on the ground that carried out the Bolshevik revolution for for Lenin? Why did Trotsky <clears throat> flee Stalin by running to Mexico? Because he had friends there. Because the uh, the the Marxists were busy in Mexico taking over. That's where Trotsky met his death at the hands of a, uh, of a Bolshevik who put an ice pick in his head. <clears throat> They're not nice to each other. Uh, but in any case, uh, and then we find the persecution of the church with Kayez and the rest of his crowd there 
we're familiar with the noble and heroic resistance of the Cristeros in the 20s and 30s down there. They were fighting to prevent their nation from falling into the hands of communists, is what they were doing. Uh, and, and it was a communist revolution that was being cooked up in Moscow. And the same in Spain. Franco rose up to prevent uh, Spain from becoming a satellite of Soviet of, of communist Russia, basically, and becoming part of a Soviet bloc, which really happened essentially only after World War II, uh, which was fought essentially to give that to Stalin, to give him a Soviet bloc, to give him a Soviet Russia, uh, the Union of Soviet, Soviet Socialist Republics, actually. <clears throat> and turn Eastern Europe um, communist. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, the fact is, Tom, that um, this is not an accident, what we see happening in this part of the world. It's as though they had their experiment going in the East and Eastern Hemisphere while they were also experimenting in the West. At the same time, they were experimenting here, too. You see, <clears throat> Mars's forecast that once the uh, revolution began, okay, the, the nations would begin falling, societies would begin falling like dominoes, one after another, the revolution would spread throughout the world. The slogan, a workman of the world, unite, you have nothing to lose but your chains, was supposed to carry throughout the world, and it was supposed to engulf the whole world in revolution. It didn't. It did not do so. <clears throat> So again, the question was why. So Marxist theorists uh, went back to the drawing board and the Frankfurt Schule, the, the Frankfurt School of Jewish Marxists, uh, who were also into psychology and very big time into psychology. Okay, Theodore Adorno and his crowd um, <clears throat> began to realize there's something holding it back. And it sounds interesting because, uh, you know, you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where St. Paul talks about the restrainer who's holding back the Antichrist. <clears throat> and he can only hold it back until he's taken out of the way, okay? Well, <clears throat> the, the Frankfurt uh, School said that what's holding the march of, of communism back <clears throat> is Christianity, Christian civilization. That must be destroyed. And the only way it can be destroyed, he says, is by launching a cultural offensive. We, need, we must <clears throat> overcome it with cultural Marxism. And uh, they laid out this psychological plan, really, in their psychological laboratories, of the, beginning with their own warp vines, of undermining all the morality uh, in Christian countries. Um, this was actually something cooked up already, maybe 50, 60 years before, in the, in the um, lodges of the Freemasons. Um, I mean, you have Piccolo Tigre and others who wrote back then about the need to suborn the Catholic family. Uh, <clears throat> these writers were saying, and again, I mean, we, we have Jewish writers within the Freemasons <clears throat> who were writing about the problem of the resistance of, the, of those who had the faith and those who had the culture of, of the faith resisting uh, communism, socialism, and all the rest. And they said, look, we've got to do away with the church, and the only way to destroy the church is to do away with the priests, but to do away with the priesthood. Remember, remember the Novus Ordo, the first sacrament they changed was this ordination of priests. That was before they changed the Mass, officially. So he said, we have to do it with the priests. He said, the way we've got to do it with the priests is by corrupting the Catholic family. He says, if you corrupt the Catholic family, you will, you, will, you will annihilate vocations to the priesthood right in the womb. Uh, take away, destroy the Catholic family, you will have no priests. Destroy the, take away the priests, there will be no church. <clears throat> you know, Francis has talked about anti-clericalism he himself is very anti-clerical, always talking about how bad it is for the priests to be talk as though there's something special or, or anything different. You know? And this was the message of the Freemasons back in the 1800s <clears throat> and the, the message of the communists throughout the, the, also their, their tenure. Uh, they targeted the priesthood, understandably so, because the priesthood is the sanctifying power of Christ here on earth. 
So anyway, our Lord is the, the ultimate object of their hatred, and he is the ultimate target of, of, of all of their, their, their wiles and their, 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 their enmity. They want to drive him from the face of the earth. As Nubius said, the author of the Permanent Instruction of the Alta Vedita, we have to erase from the earth, eradicate from the earth, even the memory of Christ and Christianity. Okay? <clears throat> Obviously, what is necessary is to destroy the idea of the priesthood on the way to get to that goal. So these uh, Frankfurt School uh, theoreticians, Marxist theoreticians, actually laid down a program that was to be followed in all the Christian nations of the world. Um, and when I say, uh, I, I have to define what I mean by that. I mean, there are nations that had become Protestant, like our own, right, basically. Um, but they still had some concept of a natural law. And still some concept of, of, uh, of Catholic principles. They hadn't entirely lost them yet. Okay? They were in the process of losing them. But the cultural Marxists, Marxists wanted to uh, hasten the death of Christian civilization, to hasten the arrival of worldwide socialism, communism, tyranny. And uh, so they, they sent their operatives in uh, on that level now to work on the cultural level, in the schools especially, in the entertainment industry. They flooded the entertainment industry here in the United States, <clears throat> especially the movie industry. Communist agents, many of them Jewish, actually. Uh, very busy uh, turning out immoral propaganda because they wanted to, to, again, pervert the minds of the people especially those who still had Christian principles, who still had principles of the faith. Uh, we see what, what the, where they've come. Their, their ultimate idea was to do this, okay? <clears throat> to pave the way for um, worldwide socialism, a worldwide socialist tyranny, by, first of all, breaking down all opposition which is mean, means the Catholic faith, wherever it was, in their march to try to erase all memory of Christ, Christianity, Catholicism. And uh, they were going to do this by completely subverting the moral order. They were going to take what, according to the Catholic faith, is evil and immoral and vicious and sinful, and they were going to elevate it to make it look virtuous, <coughs> and almost sacramental, like abortion. They wanted people to basically go from being horrified at the thought of abortion to actually almost holding it up as an ideal, something to be admired and glorified. And they wanted to take the, the virtues that the Catholic faith extolled, the, the sacred scriptures extolled, that God extols, purity, virginity, right? <clears throat> and uh, humility, and they wanted to, to drag them down and make them look not only laughable, but sinister, evil, and even suspect, so there's something creepy and disordered about these, these virtues. They wanted to take the entire moral order and, and turn it upside down, just like Satan himself would do. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. They're doing his work for him, you know? And we see that's what they've done in our own society right now with so many people. Uh, and unfortunately, even in our uh, in our government, right, in our uh, medical field, right, um, in our schools, this is exactly what they're doing. Father, I've heard you say before that that this Frankfurt School, their their plan was diabolically successful because it was diabolically clever. Mm. And it, uh, it it what you just said it brings to mind was it Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, that said, "Woe to those who call." Good, evil, and evil, good, and that's what we have today. But getting back to this, to this ludicrous comment that, that Karl Marx is almost a father of the church. Even the just the briefest uh, skimming of history can 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 prove that that is that's just absolutely ridiculous. Because, like you said, all of Marx's predictions, none of them came true. Uh, he he was wrong about nearly everything. His entire philosophy, everything he taught could essentially just be boiled down to, to greed and jealousy and pride. There was nothing substantial. Even all of his ideas, everything that he taught, you know, the, uh, the dialectic, 
everything, all of these philosophies that, that he had, he took them from philosophers before him, from Fichte, Feuerbach, Hegel, all that. He, he, the only contribution he had was applying all these ideas to economics. And oddly enough, Tom, there's plenty of evidence now that he rejected his own economic theory, which was his own personal contribution you know, to the thesis, antithesis, synthesis, the, the dialectic, and all the rest that he took from Feuerbach, Fichte, and, and, and so on. <clears throat> he applied these to economics, and his later writings seem to find that, to question his own findings about the, um, uh, the value of labor and how it applies, how it works in his, uh, in his theories. But of course, the Marxists, again, had to turn a blind eye to that and ignore that. And that's why it seems that most of what we call Marxism today isn't really even what, what Marx taught. It seems the, really the, the first of it is, has been this Frankfurt School and, and their plan that they have established, which I guess incorporated some elements of, of Marxist thought. But, um, but I think it's, it's clear to any honest person that will read anything that Marx wrote, uh, read any of his predictions and see how they turned out, that them, he was just a bumbling fool. He didn't have any real contributions, no. Well, there, there's evidence he was a Satanist. Too. He extolled Satan, just like uh, one of his uh, descendants, his ideological descendants, uh, uh, the activist here, who, who uh, was one of the mentors of Obama and uh, oh, and uh, and Hillary Clinton, Saul Alinsky. Uh, they just glorified Satan as their model revolutionary, and they they intended to follow in his in his. Uh, hoofsteps, as it were. <clears throat> but this is what we're dealing with. St. Paul spoke so beautifully about this, so powerfully, that we're, we're not facing you know, mere, mere human evil here. We're, we're, we're up against principalities and the powers of darkness in, in high places here. So this is a spiritual battle. Make no mistake about it. It's not a battle with bombs and guns. It is a spiritual battle that is on the level of every soul. And what side a soul is on? If the soul is not in the state of God's grace, it has been, it is a wall. It is an MIA or even a POW or even fighting on the side of the enemy has joined the ranks of the enemy. Uh, let's face it, a mortal sin gives aid and comfort to the enemy, to the very, the least you can say about it. So um, it, it is, uh, it is where the battle is being fought right now. Mm -hmm. The level of the, the individual human soul. Um, that, that is that. Uh, that is the only reason I, I, I can see that God hasn't just struck us. Our Blessed Mother is trying to hold back the hand of our Lord to punish us. But there must be souls in the world who are offering God uh, great love, great sacrifices. I'd like to think our traditional Catholics are among them in their praying the rosary faithfully and offering sacrifices as they can. Um, I'd like to think they're contributing mightily to the effort uh, to secure God's mercy, even under the circumstances we're in today. But we've got to begin to push Satan back. Uh, and the only way to do that is by virtue, by grace. And uh, prayer and sacrifice, as Our Lady said, especially the prayer of the rosary. Uh, patience. Patience and offering to God everything we can offer in this life. Uh, humbly. As, as a, uh, by our patience, I think is extremely important. This is what the children of Fatima told us. This is what all the saints have told us is necessary. We come to an impasse in the, in the history of the world now, where we're, we're in this death battle. Now, there are others in the past who thought that the end had come, the end times had come, and the Catholics had marshaled their forces and uh, did battle. And God gave them the victory, and that is perhaps why you and I are even here right now. Okay, but the question is now whether the Catholic people now will rise to the occasion. There are even Novus Ordo people who are, who are more and more speaking out about how we have to resist. We have to resist within the church. We have to resist the Pope. They say it's our duty to resist the Pope. Now, years ago, people were saying, "Well, you can't do that. You can't." Now they're they're actually saying it very loudly and very boldly. Well, you know, there are those who see Francis as actually making a mockery of the papacy itself. There are those who are trying to make people understand <clears throat> that what is at stake here is the very nature of the papacy. 
can a pope do these things and be the pope? That's a very worthy question. Can he not only say these things, can he believe these things? And actually still be a Catholic, still have the faith, and still be the Supreme Pontiff and, and the Vicar of Christ on Earth? Those are very serious questions, because what we're dealing now with is unprecedented. And I can't just dismiss these questions as though they shouldn't even be asked. Quite the contrary. They themselves, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, were the ones who were saying, well, you can't ask those questions. You can't even raise the question about whether you can resist a pope. I mean, even their hero, uh, Cardinal Burke, okay, say, oh, you know, you can't resist, you know, the pontiff. Now he's saying we have to resist him. We have to fight him. We can't let, let him get away with this and corrupt the faith and scandalize the church. And so it's as though there's a certain lag time in their realization of the gravity of the situation as it really is. But eventually, uh, you know, they, they have to come to grips with the fact that those who have adopted even the state of the composition are actually concerned about uh, preserving the integrity of the papacy as an office that God established himself. And they see that very concept of the papacy as being destroyed in the minds of the Catholic people by Francis. And that's what they're concerned about. Uh, they're trying to save the papacy from Francis, as it were. You know, you understand what I'm getting at here. So, um, in any case, this this is what we're dealing with right now. And, and yes, the Frankfurt School has a lot to do with it. But we have to remember that we're dealing with uh, Judeo-Masonic intrigues in the world today. Judeo-Masonic effort in the world today to subvert the world. Um, destroy, as they said, the very memory of Christ in the world, the very memory of Christianity, of the faith, the church, and replace it with a, a world naturalistic order which they believe they can absolutely control. They want to have surveillance everywhere, and they want to control every thought, word, and deed. And I mean not just deed, they want to control not only every word, they want to control every thought that occurs in the world. Sure. Uh, this, is, this is actually ultimately Satan's goal, because this is the only way he can actually pretend to be God, as though he's omnipresent and omnipotent. <clears throat> By having this control of every action, but also every word, even every thought that is tolerated in the world. So he's still trying to to um, <clears throat> seize that, that the, the throne of God, as it were, by saying, I will be the Lord of the world. How did our Lord refer to him on Pentecost Sunday as the prince of this world? The prince of this world cometh, and in me he hath nothing. That's what our Lord said. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, but that you may know that I love the Father. Well, the prince of this world came and saw to it that uh, the Son of God was crucified, to his, the prince of the world's undoing, <clears throat> but he hasn't given up the battle, right? right? And neither can we. Right. Father, I've recently been been reading a true devotion to Mary book and and how Saint Louis de Montfort he uh, he believed that during his time that it was near the end times, and that's why he he preached this devotion to the Blessed Mother and consecrating yourself to her immaculate heart because he said that, that this would be how we how we resist this. Um, all of this, and I think that, that that, you know, when was that 1850s, I believe, when he thought that at his times were in the end times, and so now it's, we're, we're this many years past that, and it seems that we're still definitely now even more so trending in that direction. So how important is it for us today to consecrate, actually do this, practice exactly. this true devotion, and consecrate ourselves? To well, we can say Pius X, as I mentioned before, his first encyclical, October 4th, 1903. Uh, his first encyclical, uh, a Supreme began by saying not that he was humbled to become the Supreme Pontiff, not that he felt unworthy to be elected the Pope, but he was terrified to be the Pope. Remember, remember when Cardinal Mary Laval found him in tears, uh, praying, you know, in the chapel, the Clementine, I think it was the Clementine Chapel in the back in St. Peter's, <coughs> praying alone that night because he saw what was coming, the way the vote was tending among the Cardinals. And he said he was terrified. 
And he explained why in that encyclical, look it up, everybody should be familiar with that, where he says that he feared that the Antichrist was soon to come or already in the world. He said he was terrified because he thought the events spoken of by St. Paul in his second letter to the Thessalonians were already upon us or soon to come. And that meant the coming of the Antichrist. Imagine facing the prospect of being elected the Pope when you actually believe the Antichrist was in the world or about to arrive. And you are the vicar of Christ, and he is the son of perdition, and you are, you are being called upon to do battle with him. I mean, that would be terrifying for just about anybody has the right mind and the right faith, right? And St. Pius X was terrified. So when you mentioned that St. Louis Marie de Grignon de Montfort thought that we were in the end times, years and years, decades before that, well, I think those words were echoed by Pope Pius X, St. Pius X in 1903. Sure. And we have, but, but we see this not as the work of a day, but as a process that goes on for some time because the... The, the, it is not something that happens overnight. Even when our Lord came into the world, there was a long preparation for his arrival, as you know. Mm-hmm. And even he had a precursor. And so it is said that the Antichrist will have a precursor who will pave the way for his arrival and get people of a mind to receive him and acclaim him as the Savior. Mm-hmm. Um, do we see who that is? I don't know that we do right now, but there are plenty of others who are, uh, are pitching in, pitchforking in, as it were, and one of them is in the Vatican right now, to help pave the way for this, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, even in our own country, there are strange things happening, our own government. You know, some people are looking at the election of Donald Trump as a, as a great anomaly. Well, certainly the Democrats are looking at it as an anomaly. They were shocked. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about how they, they rigged the polls and they could basically make the election go any way they want. And some said, well, the election of Trump shows that was not true. But I, personally, I think that they didn't think they needed to. They, they were so convinced by their own lying polls and surveys that they actually believed Trump, uh, that Hillary was a shoo-in. And it, it took them by surprise. They were blinded by their hubris. And so they were shocked that Trump was, was uh, getting, gaining the uh, victory in the Electoral College. And they had no answer because they hadn't taken the steps necessary to ensure that the polls would go their way. I mean, they say that they took the popular vote. And maybe they did, but I mean, the accusation is that the, the vote was, it was, there were so many illegal voters, uh, predominantly Democratic. There are even those who question that, whether they took the popular vote. They didn't take the Electoral College, that, that's for sure, the Electoral College. They had to cede the presidency to Donald Trump, and they've been trying to destroy him ever since. You know? and, um, and, and now it's come to light that the, um, the FBI actually had a mole working in the Trump campaign uh, to bring him down. I mean, when, when Nixon had his minions break into the Democratic Party uh, office and, and steal materials, that was an impeachable offense. Nixon had to resign, right? That was, it was just awful. Uh, but the Democrats seem to be able to do that with impunity, at least to the minds of many, many people. And so now this is really heating up here, and you see men like Clapper, right? In the, I guess he was what, the CIA or Justice? Well, where was he? He was an official, a very top official, and yeah, supposedly working under the Justice Department. And you see Comey, and you see. Um, uh, let's see, uh, you, you see Brennan, right? Brennan was the head of the CIA who himself became a Muslim, right? And uh, they're all uh, attacking and attacking. And the more evidence that is found to show their collusion in, um, well, what we would consider to be highly illegal activities, um, they go on the offensive more and more. They believe that the best defense is a good offense. <clears throat> to accuse and attack, the more shrill they become in attacking <clears throat> is an indication of how they see that they're being found out, that they're being exposed, and this is the only way they have to launch a defense in the form of a, of a counteroffensive, right? To try to cover up the, the, the chicanery they've been involved in. 
Now, this is amazing to us in America to see that this is actually being exposed because it has gone on for so long. And those who uh, are all in favor of murdering babies in the womb uh, have no trouble lying. You know, lying to them is sport. It's entertainment. You know, it, it, it's actually some sort of a, a great achievement. You know, it's as though they try to outdo each other in the, in the, in the magnitude of their lives. And um, they're, they're vying each other with the, the liar of the year award here. But how would you, what would you expect from people who, who are in favor of, blame, uh, of murdering babies and, and who will not acknowledge the fact that they're human, yeah. that they're human beings? Um, this is exactly what you'd have to expect from them. <clears throat> um, you'd expect a, 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 a venomous serpent to be a venomous serpent. And you would expect those who are in favor of abortion to be um, diabolically clever in their in their lies and their distortions, and uh, they cannot. There's nothing so evil that they wouldn't resort to it sure. if they would resort to abortion. So, um, in any case, um, Tom, I, I think that we see a certain battleground going on even in our own government right now. I'm, I'm not saying that. You know, Trump is a saint. I'm not canonizing him, but anyway, believe me, there are problems there. But there's, there's obviously some reaction going on. And I can't help but think that there are graces from God being given somewhere to at least forestall. That's the word our lady used at Fatima, to forestall these evil things from happening. And I keep asking myself, why are we not right now in the very pit of an, an earthly hell? And I can only think it's because God is having mercy on us. And I ask myself, why? And the only answer I have is there are those who are praying and sacrificing to forestall, as Our Lady said, the great evils. <clears throat> and that, that gives me the hope that we can, by the, by the grace of God and responding to it, cooperating with it, begin to push this back. I have to have that hope, right? I'm not going to simply throw up my hand and say, all is lost, all is lost. That's not what Our Lady came for. That's not what Our Lord wants of us. So, uh, I mean, even with this, this so-called royal wedding over in England that just took place, I mean, I wonder how many of our, our viewers watched that, you know? I mean, there you have this, this Anglican clergyman, archbishop brought over to give a talk, and there are those uh, who uh, heard him there at the wedding give his talk, and they say, well, isn't that nice? And, I mean, he said some things that were true, but, I mean, they, there's nothing new there, right? But then he launches into praising Teilhard de Chardin, the great modernist Jesuit. Who would have thought in a speech of an, uh, like a, 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 shall I say, Anglican, uh, uh, Anglican uh, vicar, who is called an archbishop, who is actually a would-be Baptist minister, actually, <coughs> Speaking there at the royal wedding, right, uh, Prince Harry, uh, who would have thought they'd be referencing Thierry de Chardin, who was one of the one of the leaders of the modernists involved in the in the Piltdown Man, the Piltdown Man conspiracy to falsify evidence for evolution, and whom even the Novus Ordo uh, under John the Twenty Third put on the index of forbidden books and actually issued a moment a warning against his writings. Because his whole idea was that the universe is basically evolving into the cosmic Christ. Who would have thought <clears throat> that he would have mentioned it? But <clears throat> who would have thought that people would react against that, that wedding and denounce it because of all the propaganda for it? Oh, isn't that nice? But actually, but, you know, it's come to light that she is a baptized Catholic, Novus Ordo Catholic, who was married before, right? <clears throat> Supposedly, she was married on the beach in Jamaica. Uh, I mean, I doubt it was any, had any claim to be a Catholic wedding, so it wouldn't be valid. But then neither would this wedding be valid either. In the eyes of the church, I mean, that's, that's Henry VIII all over again. A uh, Catholic cannot validly marry the way she did before a Protestant minister. And so, I mean, there's nothing to celebrate here. That's something, it's just something to lament and bewail the fact that someone who styles herself a Catholic does this in front of the world, right? And following through with a revolution against the church that claims so many, so many, many martyrs. 
And uh, this is, but this is the kind of propaganda that's supposed to get everyone and 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 all on board with the forty-five million dollars that was spent on this, this what we would have to consider to be, unfortunately, a fraud of a marriage, you know, a farce, to be quite frank about it, uh, because we cannot recognize that as as a, as a wedding, as a marriage in the eyes of God. And I'm sure God was not impressed by the forty-five million dollars, or the. $300,000 spent on the wedding gown or any of these other things, right? Um, quite the contrary. Um, so anyway, but this is, this is the kind of thing that is going on in the world that I'm afraid that even sometimes traditional Catholics fall into that trap there, which is exactly what the cultural Marxists want to happen. That they find themselves thinking the way the cultural Marxists want them to think. And they have to catch themselves and stop themselves and say, wait a minute, <clears throat> my faith says this is wrong, right? I believe this is to be condemned. <clears throat> so in any case, um, we do need to uh, hear Our Lady's voice, understand what she describes as a diabolical disorientation, consecrate ourselves to her immaculate heart, and love the truth, which St. Paul says is the one thing that will inoculate us, which will immunize us against the deceits of, of Satan. True. Well, Father, it seems you've brought the program full circle, so I think we can end with that. I think we, uh, we got through a lot tonight. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing well, your, your wisdom with us. Well, thank you. Appreciate okay. it. Yep. God bless you all. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.